just honored and thankful for the opportunity to be back here. I love Justin and his precious family, and I love you. And thank God in every remembrance that I have of you is good. I can't say that about everywhere I go. In fact, I was at one church, and I had to leave there because of sickness. They got sick of me, but it's good. <laughs> it's good to be at a place where people love the Word. For this week, the four services, God's led me for us to deal only with one particular Greek sentence. Titus chapter 2, if you have your Bible, verses 11 through 14 is just one sentence in the Greek. Now, you'll find that. Uh, a lot of times in the New Testament, the longest Greek sentence in the New Testament is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 14. But you'll find here in this text, the theme or the subject of every verse is grace. And I've entitled our series, Amazing Grace. Now, this morning I'm preaching about grace reaches, the availability of grace. Grace is available and will reach you and save you and give you purpose in life. Now tonight I'm preaching about grace teaches. Now it's not virtual teaching. It is personal teaching. And so he doesn't teach you from a distance. He teaches you on the inside, and he transforms you even from glory unto glory. And then the song that was sung this morning goes with what I'll preach exactly Monday evening as grace anticipates. Actually, you'll find in verse 13 that grace is looking for Jesus to come. And grace in you motivates you to anticipate that glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. Then we'll close the meeting talking about grace works. Grace works through us. If there's not the evidence of good works and you're zealous of good works, there's something wrong. The word zealous in verse 14 means to be on fire. And so touch the person beside it. Did you get burned? Did, did they burn you? Is there anybody here on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ? And so we're to live in the reality of that. Would you stand with me for the reading of his word as we honor him? Verse 11, where the Bible says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, 
zealous of good works. Lord, thank you for your word. Now would you speak to us from it, and would you change us by it? Would you get me out of the way, and may we see you as the way, the truth, and the life. Have your divine will accomplished this week. Revive your people in the midst of the years, that they may rejoice in you. We bless your name. We love you, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. So I want to preach this morning about grace is available and grace reaches. Grace will reach you. Now as you look at the text, look at the little word for in verse number 11. The word for connects us to everything that's been said previously in the book of Titus. You do realize that Titus and 1 Timothy are almost parallel. Timothy, the emphasis is on sound doctrine, and that is to be believed. The emphasis in Titus is sound doctrine, therefore the church has the right order. Timothy was a, what I call a troubleshooter for the Apostle Paul, but also Titus was. And when there was something that needed to be done in one of these young churches, God would send these young men, young pastors, to make the way straight. In fact, you'll find in verse 5 of chapter 1 that Paul says to Titus, I know you're going to Crete, I'm sending you there, and it's a tough place, and it's a rough place, but you set things in order. He's telling him he should be like a doctor. That, that church has some broken bones and they need to be set. They need to be healed. They need to be revived. They need to be restored. So there's a connection here with grace teaching and what needed to happen as far as sound doctrine and order in the church. I would like to say that every church ought to be a grace church. I want to say that again. Every church ought to be a grace church. Now, when we think about this grace that reaches, I have about four or five points, and the first one just lifted out of the text. Notice with me what I call the source of grace. The source of grace for the grace of God. Grace can only come from God. It's who God is in his essence. It's an attribute of the true and living God. It is a word that in the Greek was very difficult to understand. Well, because the Greeks, when they would use the word for grace, it meant to them that you had this friendship with people of likeness. But God took this word grace, incorporated it into the New Testament, and the amazing thing about grace is grace is that which describes God loving enemies like us. You say, well, preacher, I, I was never an enemy of God. Oh, yes, you were. 
The Bible says in Romans 5 that God loved us even though we were his enemies. And he gave himself for us. And grace really is amazing. That God would give his grace to people like us. He is the source of grace. Let me give you some different definitions. I'm sure you heard the definition, grace is unmerited favor. Maybe this definition will be that which brings light to that. G. Campbell Morgan says that grace is love in action. Grace says to you this morning, God is for you. J.C. Ryle said, grace always leads to glory because glory and grace are words that describe God like no other. You find that grace, according to Mounts, is a good word because it describes the saving act of Christ. But I like what Lewis Schaefer said in his systematic theology. Grace is what God is free to do. And indeed he does. According to Lee, Lee, that the fact that he sent his only son in our behalf. Grace, in the psalmist's words, and I like to read that psalm where it says, I was in a horrible pit. I was in the mire clay. The reason the source of grace is God, nobody could get me out of that but God. See, there's three things you have to know to be saved. Now, some preachers think the only thing you have to know to be saved is that you're a sinner and you are alienated from God. I would say to you that you have to also know that you're lost. I mean, you're not very smart if you just know that you're a sinner. But you're real real wise if you know that you're lost. And the third thing you have to know, according to this source of salvation of grace, is that you can't save yourself. You can't dig yourself out of that hole. The source of grace is God. Secondly, notice the text. Notice what I would call the Savior of grace. Underline that word appeared. You'll find in verse number 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared. Now in the original Texas Receptus where this was translated from, you'll find that it reads this way, For grace appeared. That's the next word that's in order. Now, that word appeared is also used in verse 13. Notice verse 13, the word appeared is used. R.C.H. Linsky, in his commentary on Titus, makes this evaluation. He says, we have two appearances of God. One is his first advent in verse 11. The other is his second advent in verse 13. Now let me give you the Greek word, which is a descriptive word, and I use the term the Savior of grace because what appeared is Jesus. And the Greek word is epiphany. 
Now, my wife and I, we live at the coast. If you look at your map and you see where North and South Carolina comes together, it's 319 miles from this place right here. I know because I drove it yesterday. And so I live right there between North and South Carolina on the coast, but we live about five miles or so from the ocean. But my wife loves to stay right on the ocean because when we do that, and especially with some of our children come down, because we believe the Bible. We had five children, have 13 grandchildren. The Bible says for us to multiply, and we've done our share, amen? And so you find that when one of our children come down, my wife likes to go there and stay on the ocean, and she likes to get up early, and she likes to see the sunrise. That's epiphany. In the darkness of night, the S-O-N came up, and so we have an epiphany of the Lord Jesus Christ appearing. He is the Savior of salvation. He's the one, is the Savior giving us grace. Now, you don't have to agree with this, but you can be wrong if you want to. John MacArthur gives an interesting word here in his commentary. I've written it down so I will quote him exactly concerning what he says. Listen to what he says. The grace of God is more than a divine attribute. The grace of God, if it appears and it's Jesus, is a divine person. Grace is God incarnate. Grace is Jesus Christ the embodiment of who God is. And he came to this earth. And he appeared. Now this word appeared is not only the word epiphany, and it means the sun coming up in the darkest of the nights in the morning. But it's also a technical term in the Greek. And it means this, a hero breaking into a helpless situation to rescue somebody. I'm glad that more than Superman came to this earth. I'm glad that Jesus Christ became the God-man and came to this earth. He is the Savior of salvation. Now some will say that grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. I would say to you that grace is Jesus. Now, I've really simplified the Bible. Once I understood that Christ was my life, and I understood grace, I understood this, that faith is Jesus. Because I wouldn't have faith if grace had not given me faith. And so grace is Jesus. Faith is Jesus. Righteousness is Jesus. Patience is Jesus. Peace is Jesus. Joy is Jesus. Everything's Jesus. I'm just a Jesus man. Amen? And when you see Jesus in the Bible, in the sense of his manifestation of his attributes, is the essence of who he is. I was on a flight recently, 
and I was seated beside a Jewish rabbi. And he was, boy, he was reading. He, he was reading uh, the Torah, and he was engulfed in it. And, and I told him, I said, you know, I'm a preacher too. And, and, and that got his attention. And, and, and then I said, are you reading? And I knew what I was saying. I said, are you reading about Jehovah? Now, number one, he would never say that word. A Jew who's a devout Jew in Judaism, they would never, ever speak that word openly. In fact, when he would say anything, he would write that name. He would never say that name. Now, that's how much reverence they have for the name. But then I started witnessing to him. I said, from my perspective, Jehovah and Jesus are one. And that's what separates what you believe from what I believe. Jehovah is grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Enoch walked by grace. Abraham was saved by grace. Moses was saved by grace. If you're saved here this morning, it's God's fault. If you're not saved, it's your fault. Notice the third thing in the text. Not only do we see what I would call the source of grace, the Savior of grace, but would you look third, thirdly with me, the salvation of grace. This grace hath appeared and it's brought salvation. Now don't you just look at that word salvation and not realize what that means. Did you know you're in a dilemma when you're born into this world? You're born into this world alienated and separated from God. You're born into this world under the curse of Adam. You're born into this world under condemnation. You're born into this world with Adam's sin and your sin nature. And if you don't get saved, you're going to spend eternity in hell. Donald Gray Barnhouse said, Perfection demands perfection. That's why he said salvation must be by grace. And why works will never, ever be sufficient. I like to read Romans. Romans 3.24, let me quote it. Justified freely, freely by His grace. Well then Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, I'm justified by faith. Well, which is it, grace or faith? Well, there's another place in Romans. It says, I'm justified by His blood. So am I justified by His blood? Am I justified by grace? Or am I justified by faith? Oh, I'm justified by grace, grace that gave me faith to trust His blood. And when I'm washed in the precious blood of Jesus, then I understand what salvation really does mean. Because, yes, we're in a dilemma, but God's on a rescue mission. And God's 
rescue mission is God devised a way on the basis of grace to save sinners because there's none good, no, not one. Now, believe it or not, you cannot be rescued until you know that you're lost and you need to be saved. And this really happened, not as if some of the stories I'm going to tell you this week didn't happen, but this really did happen. I have to be careful because I qualify myself. There's so many preachers preaching something that really didn't happen to them. And this really happened to me. I was preaching in a church in what we call the low country of South Carolina. Now, there's what we call the upstate, and there's the low country. And if you've ever been to the low country, well, it's a different place. And I was preaching down there, and I've always had a book table. So I usually bring a few things and put it out on Sunday night or Monday night, if the preacher's permissible with that. And so this was back in the 90s, and I was putting my stuff out. And this woman came to tell me off. She did. She really did. Now, does that happen very often? Well, you wouldn't believe how often it does happen, especially with somebody like me. But this woman, she came, she heard me that morning, and so she came that night, and she wanted to give me a piece of her mind. After she did, she should have kept it. She didn't have much. But anyway, she gave me a piece of her mind. And she said to me, she said, Ron, said, I listened to you preach this morning. I started not to come back, but I wanted to come talk to you. She said, why did you make statements like I'm a sinner and I deserve hell? Why did you make statements like I've offended God with my sin? And that uh, I'm a person that is unrighteous. I said, well, have you ever read the book of Romans? I said, I was just quoting Romans chapter 3. I said, you read the book of Romans beginning at chapter 1 verse 18 and you go through chapter 3, you'll find that both Jew and Gentile are sinners and all are sin and come short of the glory of God. And I did say to you that Jesus Christ would rescue you and he would deliver you. She said, well, I've been a church member all my life. And I want you to know I'm a good person. And if Paul would have met me, he wouldn't have written that. And I knew I couldn't talk to you. I'm going home. I'm not staying to hear you preach. Now, I took a half a baby aspirin to get over that. I, I want you to know something. Adrian Rogers is correct, and here's what he said. That our churches in America are filled with people who think everybody else is bad, but they're not, they're good. And we're like peacocks strutting our way to hell. I want you to know something. Grace rescues sinners from the pit of hell. And so you find here in this text the salvation. Because Spurgeon's correct when he said, Christ is not only our Savior, He is our salvation. There's no other one that can save you other than Jesus Christ. That brings me to my fourth point. I'll talk to you a few moments about the scope of grace. How far does grace go? Does grace reach or, or is it available 
for everyone. Now this is a theological debate. It's theological debate among Baptists right now. Has been for the last 20, 25, 30 years because there's been a movement in Southern Baptist life toward a thought that Jesus Christ did not die for everyone. Well, I want you to see in this text that Paul makes it clear when he writes Titus. Look what he says in verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to some men. What does your Bible say? All men. Now, if you didn't get it here, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, and Paul made it clear to Timothy. And they wanted these young preachers to understand the scope of grace. Look at verse 4. 1 Timothy 2 verse 4. Who will have who will have to be really look at verse number 6. Who gave himself a ransom for to be testified in due time. Now you say, preacher, do you believe anybody can be saved? I believe anybody who's willing to repent and trust Jesus Christ can be saved. Now I want to just give you a word this morning that you don't have to worry whether you're one of the elect. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Who are the elect? Those who choose to believe. Under Holy Ghost conviction. And are willing to repent and place their trust only solely in Christ. I do not believe in the salvation that Oprah teaches or George Bush. That anybody can believe in any God they want to believe in. There's only one true and living God. And His name is Jesus. And so you must know Jesus. He's not a way, He's the way. He will save anyone and everyone that will come to Him. He is salvation. Universalism is not taught in Scripture. And this particular verse in verse 11 is a verse that the liberals use when they say that grace is available to all men. And they'll say even after salvation, I mean after this life, salvation is still available. It is not available. You either receive him while you're living and have breath in your body or you'll spend eternity, eternity separated from God. Lastly, and I'll close this sermon, but it's really not over. Because really, grace, this is just one aspect of it. My wife, um, like most women, like jewelry. And this past week I was preaching in a church. I was there last year, and I had the opportunity of going back this year to uh, Dade City, Florida. It's about 30 miles this side of Tampa, about 60 miles out of Ocala. And the preacher's wife, 
Oh, she had this ring. Oh, you know, any of you ladies like rings. Uh, and so uh, I believe we have accumulated in our 50 years next May together a number of them. But my wife had her to put it on. And she said, do you see the diamonds in that ring? Do you see the di- Do you see? Oh, do you, do you see? Oh, do you, get a good look at that ring. And I said, are you telling me next May, our 50th wedding anniversary, that you'd like to have that ring? And she said, I'm not telling you that. I'm, I'm just saying. And she, she, had, she had her to turn that ring this way, and, 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 and it changed colors. And, 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 and it, it said, did you see the red in it here? Did, 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 I, said, I didn't see any of it. I, I'm not that keen. And, but she, and I said, is that a very expensive ring? And the pastor's wife said, it is. But she's worth it. Oh, we've just seen one facet this morning of the ring of grace. Tonight, if you'll come back, We'll see grace in a different light than you've never seen it. But I'd like to close talking to you about the soul winning of grace. Now there's implications in this text of soul winning. You say, no, it's not mentioned. Oh, yes, it is. How can you experience grace and not be a transporter of it? How can God lift you and you not desire for your children to be lifted? How can God save you and you not desire for somebody else to be saved? See, experience demands expression. Your testimony demands that you testify. No wonder John Newton wrote that song, Amazing Grace. Bobby Bowden, former coach for Florida State in football, who won many of his players to Christ. Even a school like Florida State, A secular school. Played in half played at halftime in honor of Bowden of their first game at home. Amazing grace. Martin Lord Jones says we sing Amazing Grace and it's not amazing anymore. The reason I know it's not amazing is because we're not sharing it. I want to ask you if you've forgotten where God brought you from. Richard Haldane said, No person can be a Christian 
who is unconcerned for the salvation of others. Johnny Hunt with Nam says, who's your one? What is the level of concern that we have for people? I'll give you this last illustration. My first church, I started pastoring while I was in school at Gardner Webb College. My first little church, my first Sunday, we had 35. I was just so happy to be there. I don't think it's anybody called to preach ever wanted to pastor a church any more than I did. In that church, we had a man by the name of Mr. Willie. Every time I ever preached that I can remember, Mr. Willie would find himself right here to the left of me because I'd always look down at him. He was an older man. Mr. Willie couldn't read. So he listened to the Bible on tape. But he would always, always find himself here in the altar. And you go there after the service and you touch the carpet. And it was wet. Mr. Willie, after I'd been there a short period of time, he said, Pastor, if you get a bus, I'll work that bus. And we did. And we brought 65 people or so on that bus to church. Before you know it, we had another bus. Before you know it, we had another bus. In the 70s and 80s, churches did whatever it took to make a difference. Mr. Willie would run a bus route. He would give them a track, tell them to read it, and he'd tell them what it said. What has happened? That we've become so apathetic cold-hearted just selfish how can God get out of heaven wash you in precious red blood write your name in the Lamb's book of life justify you freely give you his life, live in you, and you not be concerned about others. We need to repent. The source of grace is God. The Savior of grace is Jesus. 
The salvation of grace is Him delivering you from your dilemma. The scope of grace is for all. Anybody that's here this morning can come to Christ knowing that you're a sinner willing to repent and receive Him as your Lord. Trusting His finished work on Calvary's cross. Believing that God raised Him from the dead. Confessing Him openly that He's your Lord and Savior. God will save you and make you His. But then there's so many of us. During this meeting, we need for God to break our hearts over those in our family, our co-workers who need the Lord Jesus Christ. How about you? Would you join me this morning? If you're saved by grace, and ask God to forgive you for not praying and pursuing the lost. Because if His grace appeared to me, the sun needs to come up in the dark moments of some people that I know. Let's stand together. standing together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed as our musicians come for our invitation. Pastor's going to be here. The opportunity for us to know Christ here in this service. If God spoke to your heart, and you know that you're not saved, you realize you're a sinner. You're under the judgment of Almighty God. I promise you I will not embarrass you. But I beg you to be saved. I'm asking you to slip out and to step out. And come give yourself freely and fully to Christ. When you're willing to repent, he'll give himself freely and fully to you. Why don't you receive him today? Then if you are a member of this church and God has saved you, it'd be a good time for you to renew your heart and repent and ask God to forgive you for not caring for the lost and sharing the gospel with those who need Christ. And then if this is the church God's wanting you to be a part of. Some of you have been coming for a while. Why don't you get in the family here? Let God use you mightily here among his people. Be a part of this church, the local assembly. I'm sure ever how this church receives members, you can come. Lord, I pray right now. I pray we just wouldn't hear a sermon. 
I pray, God, you'll change our hearts. Those who've never experienced your grace, save them. Those who have, and they've kind of just put you in the place of using you when you're usable. Oh, God, I pray we'd repent. that we would honor you with all our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you come as we sing together?